This is Daniel Fagella. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast, and this is the third episode of this five-part series we're publishing every day, Monday through Friday this week, on achieving ROI with early AI projects. We heard from the head of the AI Center of Excellence for all of Intel this Monday. Excellent episode. Yesterday was the head of insurance AI for one of the largest insurance companies in the world, Munich Re, a $60 billion giant. And we're hearing today from a VP of engineering for Oracle's digital assistant, Rafer Gabriel. Rafer was a previous guest on the show. He's also worked on Amazon, including their Alexa platform, and had his own startup before then. He's been in the AI space since long before it was cool and has seen a lot over his years, from three years in his own startup in Palo Alto to half a decade in Amazon and now his new role within Oracle. So we speak from his perspective as to how we can achieve that early AI ROI. Many enterprises are not as far along as Amazon, and they want to make the right best move that's going to see some value, and Rafer has some sage advice. In this episode, there's a few things you're going to learn. Number one, how can you diagnose, even if you are not a data scientist, how can you diagnose the data assets that would be required to achieve a certain goal? So if you have a specific idea, how can you figure out if your data could be a fit for that without writing a line of code? Rafer goes into a bit of his advice there. And he also talks about starting with projects that are more modest. He gives some examples of projects that would be more bold or potentially more risky and projects that for him are more accessible early on. And I see his advice here as a bit of a scale for your thinking. When you're analyzing a project, you can see how close is it to the crawl side of the spectrum versus the run side of the spectrum when our goal here is to crawl, walk, run. Towards the end of the episode, we get into some fun details about what Rafer has seen go wrong when it comes to achieving ROI with AI projects, both in the startup world and in the enterprise world. You're going to want to stay tuned for that as well. But some really strong takeaways in this episode. We're grateful to have Rafer with us here on the program this week. One thing I'll mention in the outro of this episode is we are making available a few of our AI ROI report resources on Emerge.com. We are making them available during this special kind of launch period. So if you want to apply what you're learning here and be able to have it in more of a kind of framework accessible resource fashion. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of this episode. But without further ado, let's fly directly into the interview and hear from Rafer himself. This is Rafer Gabriel of Oracle here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Rafer, we're speaking this week on the theme of finding the ROI in early AI projects. There's a lot of heat and a lot of pressure in enterprise to bring AI to life, but really to do so in a way that helps build momentum. If you're talking to someone leading a team in, in a large enterprise somewhere and they say, hey, Rafer, you've worked at small startups, giant organizations. What do I need to bear in mind to make sure I can show some real tangible uh, proof of ROI from these early AI projects? What would be the best advice you'd have for them? I mean, I think there's a lot of, well, uh, I, I would say start with the smallest and simplest AI that you possibly can, you know, and a lot of the times, frankly, when we're, you know, when we're mocking something up and this comes down to really managing risk in projects, you know, we're going to start with rules. I mean, we're going to say, hey, what is the simplest baseline that we can work with here so that we know what we're measuring up against 
and then find the axes where we can really improve something based on, you know, a little bit, a sprinkling of AI. So once you're past that stage, you're really, you're probably thinking about what kind of data do you have? And, you know, that's oftentimes where I see early stage projects in AI fail and flop. They don't have the right data. They haven't put in the foundational pieces to be able to access that data, to be able to train things based on that data. So, I mean, those are really the the first pieces I would I would be looking at. There's enough to write a book on both of those, Rafer. So there's plenty to dive into here. I'll I'll go one step further. We'll we'll unpack these together. One of them was around in terms of making sure that we have the right data. Part of this might involve some semblance of an audit, some semblance of an assessment. What would it look like to know I've picked a project domain where the data is actually going to work out? Because sometimes we really do need out you know data scientists, whether internal or external to come in and actually say if this stuff will work because a subject matter expert might not know on their own. What does it look like to get some confidence on that? I mean, it usually involves having that data scientist go and build the absolute simplest model that they possibly can with the data that you already have. And, you know, it will probably lead them to some great insights about, you know, where do you really need to invest? And, And oftentimes it's like, Hey, the first thing we have to do is clean this data. <laughs> you know, yeah. oftentimes it's it's not like, hey, we need a, a whole team of data scientists to do very fancy modeling things. And, and frankly, you know, even in in later stage AI projects, when I look at some of the things that we're doing really well at Oracle now, it, a lot of it is really around differentiators and how we're processing and handling and cleaning our data all the time. So, I mean, those are those are the first things that I'm always looking at in a new project. If I want to actually see that project succeed. Got it. Okay, cool. So yeah, can we send somebody into it? And they might be able to say two hours in, guys, uh, this is so splintered, so fractured. The, the what, what you were hoping we had in here is just absolutely not the right fit. Or it might be all the way to some kind of little tiny, like you said, as simple as possible, little proof of concept that might tell us, do we have the kind of data that we need to actually make this work? But you're talking about bringing in that data scientist to kind of get that validation. The other thing you mentioned here was about starting small. And we saw this in one of the myriad examples of this uh, trend-wise was in the banking world, as soon as chatbots became a buzzword, this is three, four years ago or something, everybody waved one out there and they quickly realized our first AI project being solving complicated banking customer service questions (laughs) facing the customer for NLP, that, that's probably not the first place we should start with NLP. Th- there's other areas where things are much lower risk. And you'd mentioned, so we, we often see first projects are more dashboards that we internally can look at. And it doesn't feel as sexy as a chatbot, but maybe it is still some level of value. It's a, it's a layer on top of BI or it's some kind of an internal tool. There's a few strata here. I'm thinking about this in terms of continuums. There's like customer facing versus way back office uh, where the customer won't notice if it screws up. There's kind of playing at the surface of existing BI versus starting entirely new processes. What are the ways you would ask folks to kind of control for small, control for something manageable? Yeah, I mean, I think you you definitely pointed out a few good ones. I, I think internal facing, I mean, if you look at it, I think of it in terms of, you know, what's the cost of a bad prediction, right? Yeah. 
I mean, the hardest projects, you think about something like self-driving cars. I mean, how, how much have we been promised about self-driving cars and how much has that failed? And it's, you know, it's a hard problem in the AI space for sure. I don't know that it's, you know, orders of magnitude harder than some of the other ones, but the cost of getting a decision wrong is orders of magnitude worse, yes, right? I mean, yes. think of that, that banking chatbot interaction, if that goes wrong, someone's gonna be frustrated. Hopefully there's no transaction going on behind the scenes. But if that car makes the wrong decision, the cost of failure is horrific. So, I mean, it's really all about finding a use case where the cost of some bad predictions, the cost of some mistakes is relatively low and manageable. You know, there's always a person in the loop somewhere that's correcting those things and using them for guidance, but not using them to directly do something. I mean, you don't want to be like Zillow. I don't know if you probably yeah, read yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you don't want the algorithm going out there and buying a whole host of real estate and, uh, and, and you know, tanking the business. Right, writing off uh, billions of dollars in, in uh, cost. Yeah. No, definitely not. Yeah. Okay. So, so there is, so instead of customer facing versus not customer facing, although that is, it does feel like a useful strata. Another one that's even an even higher order proxy would be, what's the darn risk here? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Do you think that for many folks, some kind of dashboard, some kind of leveled up version of BI for folks to get value out of it, but it doesn't necessarily have to integrate with any real working workflows. It feels like that's automatically one of the lowest consequences of if it's wrong kind of things, because it's not actually moving or shaking anything in the digital or physical world. Do you go as far as to say maybe start there? I mean, I think those are those are good criteria for sure. I mean, you know, thinking about in in sort of the space that that I'm in with language AI and conversational AI, things like understanding customer feedback, doing analytics on that to understand sentiment or uh, track topics customers are bringing up in support requests. Like these are good things we can get incremental value, but if the project isn't working out super well or there's some bad data in the mix there, the cost is going to be relatively low. I mean, you know, and this is honestly why a lot of the times, you know, when we do look at things like customer facing chatbots, they're part of the system where there's escalation involved in it to a real human in the loop. So, you know, you know, there are other kind of customer support use cases, frankly, like grouping together support tickets, uh, identifying language, you know, things like that on the kind of language side of things where the cost of getting it wrong is is definitely a little bit lower. Yeah, yeah. The whole time that the big banking chatbot fad was waving its way through, there were companies doing the least sexy things in the world, like routing support tickets to the right person based on the subject line and the contents of the email. And that stuff was working. You know, that stuff we could measure. It's measurable. You can put, there is a clear metric that you can track. And yep. this, by the way, if you you know want to look at what are great things that I learned from my time at Amazon, if we can put a number on it, we can track it, there's data, there's a metric, and we can move the needle on it, then that's something where it's really easy to justify more investment. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So for ROI, make sure we know exactly what needle we're moving and make sure we're fighting a totally winnable battle and preferably one with just the absolute minimum in terms of consequences if it doesn't work out. That, <laughs> That's a great way of looking th- at those it. Those feel like some good takeaways. And also have somebody go into the data once we have our hypotheses and let us know if it's even possible to work with what we have. Don't plan on some giant build out before we've done testing with bullets before cannonballs. hundred uh, percent. I mean, if you, you know, people oftentimes think that 
the the magic is going to be in huge complicated models that is going to be are going to be built by a whole team of data scientists but oftentimes the magic is in just finding the right data what data do you really have where you can derive value out of it and sometimes those the simpler use cases with more straightforward data behind it are going to be easier to get incremental value out of first yeah and for early ai projects all the more reason to say you know pick your battles in places where you think you can win them so in closing here the, the other angle we could take on this is i guess uh ways that you know maybe you've seen or heard about you know you've got colleagues you've had your own businesses you've worked in big organizations ways you've seen this kind of go wrong in terms of of roi maybe some things that aren't intuitive um in terms of things that people do or people would normally do when it comes to oh here's how I'll get a financial return on this but ah, they tend to fail what are some of those things that some of our enterprise readers might run into as pitfalls that maybe you could help out with yeah i mean the the biggest thing is you know trying to sort of jump over really hard technical hurdles while you're also trying to collect data at the same time, when you don't even have the data in place that you need for the project, you know, you oftentimes get people working with really small, messy samples of data or overly simplified things and drawing ridiculous conclusions about how good something will perform when they get real data in place. Then they get the real data later when they're way into the project. They've already communicated a ton of expectations. They've reported a bunch of numbers. They said, oh, look what we can do with this. And then they get there and and they inevitably have set expectations at the wrong level and they disappoint. So then, you know, disappointment doesn't, it's not necessarily the same thing as failure, but once you disappoint that big, it's it's hard to kind of come back from that. Yeah, yeah. And and so there's certainly lessons here. And man, how many millions have been spent on some gigantic buildup where everything looks pretty in the sandbox? Because as you and I both know, uh, Rafer, it's very easy to make things look pretty in the sandbox. Any vendor, if you let them control the circumstances, can make it look pretty in a sandbox, but very, very hard to make it work uh, in the real world. You'd mentioned earlier the idea of kind of get the data scientists to get their hands dirty with real data and try to build a simple mock-up. Is there something to build on top of that? Because I feel like even very sophisticated companies could, you know, find some early proxies, kind of work with some little pockets of data, build on something bigger, and only realize later how far up Shit's Creek they are. What else can we do to avoid that? That's a great question. I mean, fundamentally, I think it's it's really about how do you manage and execute a program overall, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you do want to start small and you do want to incrementally bite off more use cases and, you know, make sure you're getting it right on one more narrow use case first, but with, you know, the real data, the messy data, yep. <laughs> the live data, yep. not, not with the phony delay the phony mocked up data, of course. And I think then expanding out use cases in a very controlled and measured fashion, diving deep into the things that aren't working well and understanding why they aren't working well before you blow up in terms of how much you're investing into a program. So it's really getting into those deep dives incrementally as you expand out the size and scale of that program. That's been my perspective on how to how to make a, a really an AI program like that work at scale. It almost feels like, and I don't know if this is very much a transferable lesson entirely, but you seem to be indicating, let's get close to the rough, ugly, live stuff early on. Is it, is it just a good rule of thumb to say, cool, you have a hypothesis, throw it against the wall with the actual data, like every time from the get-go. Is that almost a useful rule of thumb or are there exceptions there? Because I want our audience to have the best takeaways and the best likelihood of success. 
I haven't seen an exception yet. So okay. I, you know, if, if there is one, I'm not aware of it. Right. Every time I've seen, you know, something that starts off as a researchy kind of project, and then it's like, hey, let's make this a real production thing. And they started without real data and they were working with, you know, very sanitized, very simplified versions of data. They had big problems and the project never went according to schedule or, you know, if it did succeed, it, it took an awful lot longer and more effort than they expected. All right. Well, audience, you've heard it from the fellow who's heading up some serious conversational interface uh, efforts at Oracle and who spent half a decade at Amazon and ran his own startup in the NLP AI space. That he's never seen an exception. That that is a that's a strong enough signal to me to say, by golly, folks, if you're tuned in, that might be something to think about doing yourselves. So, Rafer, I appreciate some strong takeaways there, and hopefully, some of these factors of success are going to help some of our enterprise listeners make the most of their AI projects. Thank you so much for being able to join us again. Thank you very much, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Rafer for joining us and sharing his insights. And thank you to you for listening in. I hope that one of the bits of advice that sinks home for our listeners from this episode is being able to think about modest versus ambitious early AI projects, kind of the dashboard concept versus something that interacts directly with customers. That scale of risk, I think, can tie pretty well to the insights from Michael Berger in our previous episode from Tuesday. And it's great to be able to connect the dots sometimes between experts who have totally different experience but have similar advice around guiding projects to a successful ROI. And speaking of guiding projects, many of you who are tuned in are going to want to put these insights in action. I know for a fact that many of our members of Emerge Plus are enterprise leaders who are steering AI projects or are consultants and service providers who need to be able to help their clients to be able to steer AI projects and need to be able to show up smart with best practice advice. And that's why I wanted to be able to mention our AI ROI cheat sheet report. This report was previously retailed on Emerge.com for $300. We have hundreds of folks from the Emerge community over the last maybe year and a half that have been able to have access to this report. And we're now making it free for any new Emerge Plus member. If you're not a member of the Emerge Plus community, you can go to emerj.com slash r7. That's R like ROI and then just the number seven. And you can learn more about that report. This is basically a series of tables and frameworks for taking a project and working it through a bit of a sausage maker, if you will, to be able to determine what are the upsides, what are the downsides, and what do we want to do with this project? This is drawn on the best of insights from our interviews over the years. And again, it normally retails on Emerge for something like $300. So if you want to get that report for free, you can join Emerge plus emerj.com slash R7. This is going to be ending next Monday. So this is something we're doing just during this special ROI series. But if you're interested in taking these insights to the next level, this could be a great resource. Some of you listening in are already Emerge Plus members. I am grateful to have you in the community. Some of you are not. If you are not, uh, I should describe Emerge Plus. Emerge Plus is our members-only platform where we provide a full suite of infographics and frameworks for determining AI ROI building an AI strategy, building an AI roadmap, AI adoption, and more. So if you want simple visuals to help guide your decision-making, whether it's with your client, with your C-suite, with your team, uh, Emerge Plus is a great place to go for that. In addition, it is access to our full library of use cases. So unimpinged access across every industry to applications from chatbots and life sciences all the way up to document search and discovery and banking and literally everything in between. And we have a special search interface only for Plus members where you can simply search by industry and 
by application type and find all of the articles and resources on those topics. Literally hundreds to select from, as well as our white paper library, which Emerge Plus members get access to as well. So frameworks and use cases. Again, if you wanna put this stuff in action, Emerge Plus is the way to go. And right now is the time to hop in if you wanna get access to that AI ROI cheat sheet report again, which normally retails on Emerge, which we're now bundling in with Emerge Plus. This does end on Monday, but I did want to let you know about it before the end of this episode. So certainly appreciate you tuning in. Again, you can find all that at emerj.com slash R7. Otherwise, stay tuned for tomorrow. We have two more episodes in this series. It feels like we've packed in a lot in these first three days, but we have Thursday and Friday to go. Tomorrow, we're speaking with an AI consultant who has worked with literally some of the largest organizations in the world from BlackRock to Walmart, talking about where people get ROI wrong and a very powerful insight for diagnosing your data to make sure that your project has any chance of success at all. So do not miss out on that for tomorrow. I look forward to having you here as a listener with us for the rest of the series. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll catch you soon.